Good morning. On this Palm Sunday, we will be looking at the scripture of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so we'll be looking at Matthew 21, verses 1 through 13 this morning. As we begin, let's get a setting of Palm Sunday. So Jesus is coming uh, to Jerusalem, and he's making his way through Jericho. And at Jericho, there's two aspects of Jericho, two parts of it. And so one part, he finds himself dealing with the blind. And so he heals blind Bartimaeus. And then he goes on, and this is where we have the encounter with Jesus and Zacchaeus. And so from there, Jesus waits a few days before he goes to Bethany to where he would now raise Lazarus from the dead. So all of this is taking place before Jesus comes in in his triumphal entry where he comes on the day where the the sheep are being presented at the temple. And so they're buying the sheep to take them home and to prepare for the Passover. So that's the setting of where we find ourselves in regards to this Palm Sunday. So let's look to the scripture, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 13 this morning. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, for blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to a passage of Scripture that is well known by many. And so, Father, I ask that you would make it new to us, that you allow us to come with a fresh understanding, Lord, that we would see within the details just how great you are. You truly are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as we celebrate this today of your triumphal entry, where you claim to be king before earth, Lord, may we be mindful to worship you as you rightfully do. So, Father, take this word, apply it to our hearts and our minds. Truly change us to look more like our Savior. For this we pray in Christ's name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The first point we're going to look at is the question of who is this? And the first thing we're going to see is that the city is stirred. Jerusalem is stirred. Now, there's one other time in regards to Jesus' story 
where Jerusalem is stirred. And it was where the Magi came and brought, came to Herod and asked the question of where is the king of the Jews? And so it said at that point, the city of Jerusalem was troubled. Well, now we find ourselves in the midst of Passover and Jesus comes arriving. But the question we should ask is why now? See, Jesus had resisted being made king before. People had tried to forcibly make him king. They came and asked him to come and do all of these things. And Jesus said, don't go and tell anybody. So why now does he come as a king? Well, he wants everyone to know as there are many crowds that are coming in Jerusalem for this Passover meal. So he wants them to be able to say for people like the Apostle Paul and others who come to the city, remember that time. Remember that time when the city was all uh, stirred up when Jesus came in? And so we begin to see that as the city is stirred up, there's crowds that are involved in the midst of this. There are the crowds with Jesus. Remember, the disciples are coming with him, and they're coming from Bethany, and they're coming over the Mount of Olives. Plus, there's those that have come from Bethany itself. Lazarus has just been risen from the dead, and it's been overwhelming because people are starting to believe in Jesus. And so a great crowd comes with Christ as he comes over the crest of the Mount of Olives and begins to see upon the city of Jerusalem as he enters the east gate. But there's also crowds from Jerusalem that are coming out. And we begin to see that there are some crowds that don't even know who Jesus is. They don't, and they don't have a care. It's the Roman citizens. But there's also those that have come from Jericho. Those that understood the things that happened with Bartimaeus and with Zacchaeus. And so they've come out of the city to welcome Jesus in. And then there's the foreigners, it says in the scripture. There are foreigners that have come from many different places. And so, in essence, all of the world has come to Jerusalem for this time as they prepare for the Passover meal. And so, again, it's like us. There are many crowds who come a lot of times on these holy weeks. And so some come for an escape from the world. They come and say, I just need to get away from the world for an hour. There are others who are sentimental Some who just say, it can't do us any harm to come. It's what we always do. But then there's also the skeptic. Those who think that what we are doing here is ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. It's not scientific. And it's not true. But for others, we come to worship. We come to be with those who come to seek the Son of God. And so these crowds are there, but they also come with expectations. Many were seeing Jesus as a political hero. They wanted the Romans to to go away. They didn't want to be uh, overseen anymore. And so they were looking for a political Messiah and someone who can take the the sight of the, the blind and give it back to them. Those that can change people's hearts of the outcasts like those of Zacchaeus, those that can raise people from the dead, that's someone to follow. That's a political figure. And that's someone that you can get around to for war. But we even know that the disciples, the apostle John says in his book, in regard to this passage, that they were confused. Even when Jesus was clear that he was going to Jerusalem to die and then be raised three days later, John was very honest in saying, we don't get it. We're confused until after the resurrection. So there's the reality that Jesus is very different from our preconceived ideas of who we are, of who he is. 
And so we have this understanding of what do we think God needs to do for us. Maybe we have expectations of God that are not scriptural. Maybe we believe that we're only going to follow God if he does this or that for us. But one of the things that they do get right is they ask the ultimate question, the right question, and the question is this, who is this who comes into the city of Jerusalem? Well, we're going to see that Jesus fulfills the anointed, the messianic offices of prophet, priest, and king in the Old Testament. And these were the offices that were set apart. They were anointed to be of God. And so Jesus fulfills all of these. And well, the first thing that we'll see is Jesus fulfilled the office of a king. Now, the first thing that he had, he had the rights of a king. And so what Jesus does at the beginning of this passage in regards to the donkey and the foal is he has the right to commandeer. And we understand what that is because we see movies, we see television shows where uh, police officers are chasing the bad guy. They get out, um, they don't have a vehicle, they stop the next vehicle that's coming by, they show their badge, they tell the person to get out of the car, they commandeer it and they take it out and they destroy the car that they take or whatever, but they have the right. They have the right to do that. And so Jesus, as king, had right to go and take this donkey for his purposes. All kings, all armies had these kind of rights to go out and commandeer things from the common people for the military purposes. And so Jesus had every right as a king to commandeer this. But there's this thing that's unique about this is he says, when someone asks you about this, then tell them that I have need of it. And it's a reality that he is actually seeing and setting up a situation where he borrows with consent. Even in the midst of his rights as a king to just take and not care about anything, he lets the owner know that he is only borrowing it and he will return it very quickly. And so he takes these rights of a king's and even in the midst of, of being able to do that and command it, he shows his love and kindness. And as he gets the, the donkey and the foal back, he takes a humble ride. See, the reality is Jesus did not come on a battle horse. For battle horses have to be trained. There's, there's the noises of battle. There's the, the opportunity. So they have to be trained. They have to be ridden. They have to be powerful. And usually they come with an army after them. But yet the reality is, is Jesus comes on a donkey. And not just any donkey, but one that has never been ridden. And so he, as he comes on this donkey, he shows compassion to the donkey itself. Because he allows the, the, the foal and the donkey to come. And so he doesn't remove the donkey from a situation. Even in the midst, he's humble and gentle. He shows compassion to this beast of burden. And how much more does he show to us? For Jesus is coming not to conquer as the king, which he will eventually in his second coming. But at this point, he comes not to conquer, but to die. And as he does this, as he begins to get on top of this, and this is the only point in time of Jesus' life where we see him ride. Every other time, he's walking. But as he begins to ride this donkey into the city of Jerusalem, there becomes what we would say a political rally. 
So the people begin to start taking palm fronds. And this is a symbol of resistance for the people in Jerusalem. And so they begin to take uh, branches off of trees. They begin to take these palm fronds. And they set it down in front of Jesus because uh, they're looking. They're looking for that political king. But not only that, they begin to give their float. Their cloaks and the cloaks come from Second Kings chapter nine, and this is when King Jehu uh, is made king. And so, what the people did is they took off their cloaks and they lay them before the king, just like we would say that there should have been a red carpet that led Jesus in from the Mount of Olives through the east gate all the way to the temple. But there's nothing. There's only cloaks. There's only tree branches to come. But as they're coming, they're crying out and they're singing from the songs of ascent. And they think that specifically that Jesus might have been doing uh, or hearing the songs of Psalm 118 that even uh, we've heard earlier today. But listen to these words. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made us his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. For you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so Jesus is hearing these songs of ascent as they come in, typical uh, psalms of Passover. And as they're singing, they're crying out, and it becomes a very political rally. And they're crying out, and it's beginning to upset the religious authorities. There's a, a, a sense of being a part of a crowd, and there's something unique about that, and something that builds us up. And we know we're in the midst of, of being separated right now, but we do understand and we look forward to the day where we'll again come together and we'll be able to, to hug one another and be able to, to uh, laugh together and to speak together. And there's that crowd. And so what happens is there's something special about it. But the reality is, is in the midst of this crowd, there are many fickle people. For the same people that are crying out at this moment will just a week later be crying out for Jesus to be crucified. So Jesus first is the king, and he fulfills that office. But the second thing we see in this passage is Jesus fulfills the office of priest. So what Jesus does is he goes into the temple, and he begins to talk about it being a house of prayer. And the first thing that he encounters is money changers. Now, the money changers are, there's a specific temple currency that happened. So you had to exchange your money into the temple currency. And so there was a cost of that. Then no longer did you go out into your own flocks or to the flocks surrounding you and pick a, a lamb for the Passover. You had to get pre-approved lambs from the temple. And so here there are people who are changing money. They're selling lambs or selling pigeons. All of these things are going on in the midst of the temple. And the reality is, is that probably most of these people really thought they were doing ministry and worship to God. And we would think that in some ways. If we came and asked you as a church, hey, we need someone to, to come in here. and we, you, you can't give American dollars. You have to give specific North Side dollars. And we need someone to ch- do that exchange. And so we would set someone up and someone would say, well, I'm doing this unto the Lord. This is part of my worship. This is part of my giving. So Jesus comes in and he does something very odd. And he takes these people who are thinking they're doing something good for God. And he begins to flip the tables. And he begins to say to those in the Temple uh, Mount area, you have become a den of robbers. 
You have taken what God has, has prepared for himself and you've made it into something that should have never been. And so he begins to say, this was called to be a house of prayer. Now, I think this is a warning even to us in today's day and age. Because the reality is, a lot of us could say, well, that would never happen in our church. Christ would never come in here. We don't have money changers. But the reality is, is that uh, many of us are just content to be satisfied with an hour of worship a week. See, a lot of us can take our, our church calendars and they can become very, very full. But what's the first thing that goes? It's usually prayer. Prayer is pushed to the outside. It becomes a thing that is of secondary importance. Our prayer meetings are the things that are, are, are found to be the least attended, not the most attended. So is Jesus, by what he's doing in the temple at that point, is he giving a, a warning to us in the modern church? See, we know that we can't come here physically to the church for worship services, but the thing that, that no one can take away from us is our prayer. We always are in communication with God all the time. We can be in prayer with one another. We have the, the, the prayer guide that's out there from the PCA, and I hope you're um, looking through that daily and praying with the, the church around the world. But the reality is, is we're all called to prayer. And so this is a time where Jesus was calling them to reassess what are our priorities. It's the same for us, especially as we come into this week of um, services where we focus upon Holy Week. It's a time for us to reassess. Where are we? What are our priorities in life? And it should be, according to Jesus, where we make our homes and our hearts and our church houses of prayer. And as that is said, he also goes on to say, our churches should be a house for the needy. There needs to be a place for the needy, which means that people don't need to get fixed before they come to church. Jesus says these are people who come, people like Zacchaeus, people who were social outcasts, people who were blind and, and put to the side. These are the people that come. These are the people that need the hope of the gospel message. Remember what it says in Matthew 11, where Jesus is talking to those, and he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus understands and he's telling us, he's asking us, he's begging us in some ways to come and bring our burdens to him. Don't walk through these things alone. He says, come to the church for this is a place for the needy and cry out, call out, find hope. But not only that, he then talks about the children who are running around and they're calling out to Hosanna, to the son of David, and it makes the, the, the religious people indignant. And they're saying, hey, these kids are out of control. But yet the reality is, is that Jesus tells us we're to have childlike faith. Now, again, what does that mean? Does it mean that if we have faith in regards to this uh, coronavirus outbreak, that we go out into the world and say, well, God's going to take care of me, if, so it doesn't matter. I don't need to wear the mask. I don't need to distance myself. God's going to take care of me. 
Now think about that. If I was a child, let me give you this illustration. If I'm out walking with my dad, and I know we're in a place where we don't know, and we have the ability to be lost, the last thing I do is go, well, my dad's going to take care of it anyway, so I'm just going to run ahead of my father, and I'm going to go wherever I want to go, do whatever I want to do, because it doesn't matter. No. If I'm scared and thinking that I'm lost, my faith is I reach up my hands to my father's hand, because I trust he knows where he's going. And so I grab my father's hand and I hold tightly and I trust that he is the one that will make sure that we are found. That's what we do in the midst of the corona. We don't go out there and just say, hey, we can live however we want to live. It doesn't matter. No, we reach up to Jesus and say, I don't know what's going to happen with this coronavirus, but you do. And so we trust you. And so we walk with you in the midst of this. And so that's what it means to have that childlike faith to trust him, knowing that God has everything in control. And because he has everything in control, he is faithful to complete it. And the last thing that, is, that the house of the temple should be is a house of sacrifice. Remember, Jesus is coming in on Lamb Selection Day. It's not by chance. Jesus enters into the, the temple on Lamb Selection Day. And as such, we have to remind ourselves that he is bought in this temple. He is bought with 30 pieces of silver. But the reality is he's not any ordinary lamb. He is the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice that's going to take away the sins of the world. So Jesus fulfills the office of king. He fulfills the office of priest. But then the third office as he fulfills is that of prophet. See, Jesus begins by fulfilling the offices of the prophet, by fulfilling prophecy itself. He says, I am fulfilling this. As it is written, he fulfills it by going and getting the donkey. It was already read for us by David earlier in the, in the service where it says uh, he had the donkey prepared back in Zechariah. And so he fulfills the scripture that's spoken about himself. But then Jesus also speaks the word of God. He's actually called the word of God. And so he comes speaking the word of God, but also prophets a lot of times performed miracles. And so Jesus gives a sight to the blind. He raises people from the dead. And so he's doing these miracles as he comes into Jerusalem, just even the weeks before. But he also has as part of the prophecy, he speaks of the future. And he's already spoken of his death to his disciples saying, hey, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be given over to the chief priests and I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die. But three days later, I'm going to rise. And they still didn't get it, even with a clear statement like that until after the resurrection. But he also, remember, he stops and he weeps over Jerusalem as he's going in. And part of his weeping is he gives a prophecy, if you only knew what was going to happen within the course of many of your lifetimes, that this city, that this temple that I'm looking upon, if you only knew that it was going to be leveled, how you would change. Hindsight's always 2020, right? So if we only knew that the coronavirus was going to happen, we would have six months ago started buying extra toilet paper. That's the reality. But if we only knew, but we didn't. And so we find ourselves in the midst of even in common things we can't control. And so Jesus weeps and he says, hey, this is going to happen. And so Jesus fulfills all of the, the, the aspects of being a prophet 
But his word that he gives to us from God is a word that transforms us into his likeness. Because the reality is a lot of times we become not Christians, but religious. And so what Jesus does by his words is he begins to unmask our religious hypocrisy. He exposes our hearts and our thoughts. And so he begins to change us to see things the way that Jesus does. We see this in regards to Mary and the alabaster jar. And so Mary comes and she anoints Jesus' feet. Remember? And it's an ointment that is very expensive. It's an ointment that could have been sold, uh, we hear, according for 300. It's a very, very expensive perfume. And what does Judas say? This could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But Jesus cuts to the heart and he says, Hey, that's not why Jesus was worried. Judas was worried about this. Judas wanted to steal the money. I know his heart. I know his thoughts. And so I'm telling you, the thing that the person who did what was right was Mary by anointing me. She was preparing me to go for my death. And so that is the heart of the person. She understood that she gave a great price, but it was a thing that was good. And yet the reality that even though Judas was saying, hey, we could have given this money to the poor, Jesus says, I know your heart and you're not going to give it to the poor. And if you give it to the poor, there's always going to be poor there. But your heart is evil, Judas, because you want to steal the money because that is your hearts and thoughts. So Jesus unmasks our religious hypocrisy with his words from Scripture. We also have to understand that, again, at this moment, more than any other time, Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. And he knows us and he knows what we've endured in this life. We are never alone. Not in the midst of this. It doesn't matter that we've been told to to stay inside and to stay home. And some of you are by yourself. Others are with your kids and you're going crazy. Others of you are are going out there and you're feeling uh, isolated and alone. You're never alone. God is always with us. And he never leaves us or forsakes us. And so the reality on this Palm Sunday, with like the people there in Jerusalem, this demands a response. And the response that we give to Jesus in answering the question of who is this, we can either be part of the superficial crowd. We can get all excited and be like, yay, it's going to be Holy Week and we get to do some extra stuff. But then a week later, we're back to life as we know it. And it doesn't change anything. We can be people who are just ignorant, who are just bypassing that this is just simply another day. Or we can be even like, the religious people who were devious and deliberate in opposition to Jesus. Maybe you're ticked off that God is taking you through this and you begin to ask the questions, why? Why me? Why now? Why this? Why? Why, why, why? And it's okay to ask Jesus, but make no mistake, in the midst of the asking, we need to be ready to hear the answer. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. And so we trust. And we grab his hand like that child. Or we answer by those who bow the knee to come and to worship God as he is rightfully due. And so as we get to that point, as we we find ourselves in the midst of that, I want to kind of finish up, do we have the answer that was given by Martha and Mary? as they finished, as Jesus raises their brother to the dead. And Jesus says this, Whoever believes in me, though he die, 
yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked them, do you believe this? And hear how she responds. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you believe that it is Jesus who has come as the Son of God to fulfill the offices of the King, of the priest and the prophet? For he comes to bring a universal, peaceful kingdom. And we celebrate it now. But we look forward to that day where he will return Not on a donkey, but as the scriptures has promised, where he comes upon the war horse and every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, but we will all say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this time to come and to worship you and to honor you. And Father, I do pray that those who are watching this have been stirred in their hearts Lord, they they would begin to ask the question, the, the truthful question, the hard question. Who is this Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he who he says he is? The Son of God and the Lord of Lords. And so, Father, we thank you that he fulfilled all of the expectations that we have. And Lord, sometimes we think you owe us for things that you don't. But Lord, we thank you for the things that you've done for us, that you have become our good king, a loving king, that you've become that priest that stands between us and God and you become that perfect sacrifice and you give to us the greatest thing that we have available to us, that we get to speak to you through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we also allow you to be that prophet, that great word of God that speaks to us, that changes us, so that we too could be like Zacchaeus, that we could give all that we have away, that we would repay those that we have done evil to, that we would look forward to the day where you return. Father, I pray that what has happened today in all of our homes was pleasing and honoring to you, that it came from hearts and heads that are transformed by the gospel message, and we rightfully give you all praise and honor with those that sang Psalm 118 before us, For your steadfast love endures forever. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.